Hello, welcome to episode 55 of the Tomato Timer. And I'm so excited to share with you uh, a friend and a fellow Dana Award winner uh, on this podcast with us. Aviva is the CEO and founder of University Blood Initiative, UBI for short, which she started as a second year student at the University of Chicago, where she is studying. Oh, Aviva, I forgot. Oh, I studied. I graduated. I'm I'm old, so I graduated oh, in 2019. Gosh. So I graduated. So I started. I started University Blood Initiative, um, when I was a, a sophomore or third year, whatever language mm-hmm. you want to use at U Chicago. I studied neuroscience and biology. Clearly, no business background, no business being here, but I am here. So I'll let you finish a little blurb, though. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> we didn't get. You don't gotta be more. sorry. I have no ego. So and um, Viva is now applying and looking to pursue uh, an MD or an MBA. She is working towards finding solutions to social inequality in healthcare and strongly believes in the power of young people. She works to elevate those in her organization to their full potential so they can become great leaders during their time at UBI and beyond. Thank you so much, Aviva. I'm sorry for uh, not remembering exactly the details. Um, I would love to understand why, why it all started. What was the problem you saw and how did it turn into UBI? Yeah, this is a long story. We only got 20 minutes. So, oh, God. Um, so basically, when I was a junior at your Chicago Blood Donation Center, I was a pre-med. I didn't know anything about blood donation. The center was like, children, we're dying. Come help us fix our center. And I was like, oh, it'll be a cool opportunity to learn about different side of medicine. I'll meet some friends, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but of course, it became much more. It became much more than that. And it was. Mm-hmm. And so um. Our center was on the verge of dying, basically, or collapsing at Chicago Madison, despite being surrounded by an on-campus community of students. Mm-hmm. So I developed the system of like in- engaging my peers to engage the community and the surrounding communities in the south side of Chicago um, to save the center from the brink of closing. So I will not bore you with the statistics. Um, but during my time there, I learned that the issue of young, young and diverse people not donating blood and the, you know, the eventual collapse, if this is not changed, and the blood supply system was not just you know, a Chicago problem, or Illinois, or are you, are you even a U.S. problem? Like, actually, it's, it's majority of the countries across the country. Um, and, you know, I saw this, and I'm out of work, and I was talking to Dr. Chancey Christensen, who was kind of my mentor at the time, and the director of transfusion of um, the blood bank at Chicago Medicine. He's like, if it was mm-hmm. a good idea, you should do something about it. Da, 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 da. But I'm like, oh, Dr. C, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have a business background. I'm not a conventional leader. I'm not bossy. I can't do this. Um, but one day, like it was my senior year um, at school, I had arranged for U Chicago, the center, to get some press from like a local, uh, from like a local TV show of some kind. And you know, I just got to be there to like look at the light and look at my work, if you will. Um, and they interviewed a sickle cell patient. Um, and so keep in mind before this, like, you know, I had never met any of the people who my work um, had helped in any kind of way. And so I, I had like a concept of what my work was doing and what was important, but I didn't really get it, if you will. And mm-hmm. so they um, they talked to her. And at the end of the interview, they asked like, you know, you know, Miss So-and-so, if you could, like, why does blood donation matter? Like, why would you want, what do you want to tell people at home about why blood donation? And, um, you know, she says to me, like, you know, I want you to know that when you donate blood, you help save lives and you help save mine. Um, because people don't realize how fragile the blood system is, not just in the U.S., but abroad, and that people die every day for no, for I'm, I'm going to curse, but no goddamn good reason, yeah. and that no one's doing anything about it, because it's not cool, it's not sexy, no one cares about it, and, um, you know, I got the meeting, I got the hugger, and I'm like, oh, this is who suffers if, you know, I'm not brave enough to try and do something, so I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna say, screw it, I'm gonna try 
because there's an issue that no one else seems to care about and I might have something that works. And if I fail, I fail, but at least I know that I've done something here. Mm -hmm. I love this. I, I'm, 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 I have no words to say. And it's, it's, I'm so glad that you did do it because it's, it is, it has gone to become so much bigger than just you Chicago and it's, it's impacted so many people. So can you tell us a little bit about how it's, it's grown since that, that moment that of realization that you had to do something about it? Yeah, so it took a lot of grit and just like flew, flew off the ground. It took me like three months to get like two centers to come on board. And then eventually mm -hmm. I made some other large scale partnership and it started to snowball and snowball. And actually my original model was before, was supposed to have, because this was before COVID, but this was always supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were originally launched with launch, like, I'm going to start with like three other chapters. It'll be very small. And like, I'm going to get some staff that are also going to run those chapters and we're going to see how it works out. Of course, COVID exploded. Um, so we started to just, launched nationally in april of 2020 and so it started as a like, huge chicago has turned into 24 chapters and we've had the privilege of working with 22 centers across the country we're partnered with aabb which is an international um it, it deals with transfusion medicine so either it's like the donor collection or the science or the technology or research in medicine um and the and they actually accredit also all u.s blood donation centers and we had the privilege of working with the united states federal COVID 19 task force um, regarding trying to um, replenish the U.S. blood products supply sp specifically with convalescent plasma um, when that was seen as a very viable treatment option for those with mm. severe COVID. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, that must have been an important time because what I understood was that there were blood deserts, right? Is that how you describe it? So uh, there's always blood deserts. So in the United States, so in the United States, it's different than, a, I'm, I'm going to assume most of your audience is from Europe and stuff. So we don't have a, a nationalized blood system. We have mm -hmm. like little independent centers all over the United States and some very large conglomerates that collect blood. And so our system is becoming nationalized, but not under the government because of these larger agencies kind of taking over these smaller centers. And so what, what will happen a lot of times is mm -hmm. that they will come in, they will, you know, they're bigger, they have, they have a bigger brand name, um, and they will come in and close down the local center like in Northern California, for example, but then they will not come in and build a new location to collect blood and distribute blood. So if you live in that area, which is predominantly low income, pe people of color, um, actually I'm a first generation Hispanic American. So like my family have, have a similar history, I guess you will say, is that, you know, those people in those areas will be um, in danger because they're not gonna get, you know, the blood that gets delivered there is not gonna match the antigen profile of people in the hospital, but more than that, if there's emergencies, and you don't have enough blood, guess you're out of luck. You have to wait three hours, two hours. How far is your nearest collection agency to get the blood to you? So it's a very scary reality. So blood shortages affect everybody, but they but they especially um, affect people of low income and POC. So, you know, blood, as I like to say, um, is, you know, an intersection of like race and sex and, and health inequality and health disparity. And I apologize, even though I'm 26, I'm actually in my parents' home in New York. So like many of you, my parents don't leave me alone. So like I tell my I like to get out. So relatable moment, LOL. So yeah, that just happened. No worries. Um, it's so what I wanted to understand was that during that the COVID time and, and it, it was I do remember very clearly when the plasma was a very uh, critical solution for some of those most severe patients. Um, how did your did you get any bolstering or support from the government? What were you what were you tasked with at the time when so COVID was more severe? So basically what we were supposed to do is that I worked with um, the, not, the National Convalescent 
the National Convalescent Plasma Project, which is which is an, which was run out of Mayo, Johns Hopkins, and MSU. And mm -hmm. so I kind of spearheaded the initiative to create a campaign to rapidly expand University Blood Initiative and its number of chapters so that we could establish our we kind of switched from our like more stringent chapter model to more like, if you want to help, great, we're going to give you support. And so we expanded to, of course, those 24 chapters to encourage people to educate, talk about blood donation, but also once again, to put on convalescent plasma dry, talk about the importance of that. So my so of course we had that push plasma webinar and we've had the privilege of having um, several members of that task force come speak there. But a lot of it was just kind of saying, mm -hmm you know, here's this, here are the resources kid, here's the audience, figure it out. And I was like, okay, great. So unfortunately, no money, working on the money thing, maybe one day we'll get paid. But you know, it was just kind of like, here's the community, you know, take, do what you got to do. And, you know, we'll and figure it out. And, you know, we will, we'll be here saying that we support you along the way. So it was a lot of just kind of like us doing what we got to do. And so I think that there's one piece that I, we were kind of talking briefly before we started the podcast was unconventional leadership. And I really want to understand this because once again, UBI is a youth led initiative. It's, it's run by you, but also it's the chapters are so critical to its functioning and it's, it's impact. And these are again, once again, run by students and young people. What does it feel like? Tell me a little bit about that kind of leadership journey for you. Why did you, not feel like you fit the mold and and how why was it still worthwhile and important to do what you had to do um i mean i guess i never really thought i fit the mold because it's like um like i don't know like i actually had chronic pain for 10 years that you know only recently got under control in my senior year of college so i didn't have a lot of opportunity to do a lot of extracurriculars in college with mm -hmm. of leadership i was very self-conscious very ang I mean, i'm still anxious owning up to it you know very anxious very, very socially awkward very to talk to people didn't want to bother people you know, I was someone, I am someone who plays a lot of emphasis on like personal connection and emotions. Like I rather have collaborative discussions and be like, do this, do that because I am right. And so growing up, like, cause I'm, I'm 26. So I was born in, I'm 25. I'm not, I'm turning 26. Wow. Aviva. <laughs> when I was growing up. It's like, oh, it's a leader. He's a man. He's commanding. He has the plan. He can never be afraid or he can never be nervous. And he has to like steer the ship, which is just not how I run things. Mm. So I was like, oh, I don't have the background. I don't, I don't have a business background. I don't have that kind of personality, authoritarian personality. I'm kind of touchy feeling like oh, it's not going to work out. Like people are not going to believe in me. People are not going to like care what I have to say and so on and so forth. So I guess that's what I see myself as being an unconventional leader and unconventional trajectory because I never felt like I would be um, doing this, if you will. And I guess, I mean, I, and I guess to, like I hinted at in my previous story, I did this because someone else needed me, no one else was listening. So I got, I got over myself because I wasn't fighting for me, I was fighting for somebody else and for the people who are affected by this, who are dying, who have no one else to fight for them. And yeah. so, like, like I said, I still have days where I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm sure you do too, Zavir, even if you don't want to say it. We all do. Of um, course we do. We, we all have those days of existential crises. Existential crises every day of life. Every mm. day of my life. Um, But what was my tangent going on here? I hope the audience can follow my train of thought. The ADHD moments are strong with me. Um, But it was really just because, like, someone needed me. And so it's kind of like when you're at a restaurant and if someone orders your plate wrong, you're not going to say anything. But if your friend gets their order messed up, it's like, oh, no, yeah, this is yeah. not correct. I'm going to be annoying yeah. about this. That's kind of how I relate it to. Because yeah. when I'm not fighting for me, 
I'm fighting for like my team or for like my chapters or for UBA as a whole, I can do things that I would be afraid to do for myself, if that makes sense. It definitely does and resonates a lot with me. I mean, I'm sure many of us face imposter syndrome and and, and face these crises of what, whether what we're doing is worthwhile. And and I think even with Zenotes, it, it took me a long time to actually even talk about it publicly and, and share what I was doing. But the kind of the, the responsibility and the the responsibility to the social mission is just so critical that you have to push yourself forward. And I, I want to go back to, I, I want to kind of like reiterate and, and kind of hear a little bit more about this point around not knowing exactly what to do, but having that kind of momentum and push. Why is that so critical? Because it is for me, and I, again, one, I can I can be very honest and say that most of the time, I don't know exactly what the world is going to look like and what I'm going to be doing exactly to make Xenos work or any other project that I'm working on. Um, but there is, I feel like the social mission is what drives me and there's, there's certain other kind of things that keep me pushed and keep, keep me kind of motivated to do what I do. So how, how does it work for you other than the social mission though? What, where those moments where you don't feel like you're, you're equipped with those skills, how does, how do you, how are you able to kind of push through that? Oh, I'm a big fan of talking through my feelings. I'm a big, like, I, like, I, I call my, I think I've told you this, but I call my staff, like my kids, like I, I ride and die for them, whatever I can do. Like I push forward because they need me. If I'm scared, I don't know what to do. Like I go find a mentor. I ask somebody, one of my mentors, like, if you don't know, can you help me find somebody? You know, I talk to my partner, talk to my boyfriend. Like I confront my fears and my emotions heads on. Mm. And that's the only way to do it. And I am not afraid to ask for help. And I'm not afraid to be transparent. Because I think, hey, I'm not really sure what, you know, I'm trying my best. Da, 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 da. What do you guys think? Let's be collaborative. I think that people are afraid to say that they're afraid or they're scared or they're anxious because, you know, they look weak or they're not important. But like, let me tell you a secret. I work with like, you know, very, very big deal researchers and scientists and they don't know what they're doing either. <laughs> just, it's just figuring it out because you can only plan so far ahead in life and you can't, you can't fix everything and no one knows mm. everything. And also, when you're stuck in your own head and your own fears and your own whatever, you can't think of the solution. You need other people to talk to about this. Like starting UBI, like I was like pushing, like I had this conversation with my friend Maida and I was like, oh, like for months, I was like, no, I'm not good enough. I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna do that. Da, 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 da. And she's like, and I think it was like, we were in like the Skyland. It was like in the hospital study area, like at U Chicago Medicine. And it was like in January, she's like, Aviva, I'm tired of hearing you talk about this. Like I support you whatever you wanna do, but you either gotta go for it or you don't gotta go for it. And, you know, it's okay, you need to have, it's okay to have people push you forward. You don't have to, like, I'm self-motivating, right? But you, what you, you, you don't have to be your own support system. You can feel scared. You can be afraid. You just have to talk to people and tell people and have them help you prop you up to go forward. Mm, definitely. I mean, mentors and our team members, it's, it's, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship when it comes to like keeping the keep on developing an enterprise or, or, an, or an initiative such as yours. I love, I love, and I've heard this before as well, that your kids, your team members, you always refer to them as, um, and I'm sure that you've had many join UBI and leave UBI. And I, I would love to understand what has attracted them and how have they benefited from being involved with, with initiatives such as yours and, and maybe, sorry to add a, a, another extra question to it but why is it important for young people that maybe if they're not if they're not willing to lead their own initiative why is it important to get involved with such such projects such socially driven projects um i think i'm sorry if you hear screaming out 
hide in advance. This is real. This is chaos. I'm not fancy like to be. I don't got a microphone. Um, I guess to go back to your question, I'm sorry for the dog barking. Um, but I think to go back to your question, I mean, people didn't just flock out of nowhere. Like I had to do a mm. lot of cold emailing, a lot of random and people who I didn't think who'd want to join, join and people without who would join don't want to be like, I'm still looking for board members, for example. It's very much, I think I'm pretty lucky in a weird way, even though it's hard for me to get people because like blood is not sexy. It's not cool. It's not fun. No one knows about the issues. So it's kind of hard to be like, ah, come join blood when you don't know about it. And then I turn you into the cult. Like then when you're here, then, then I have you kind of a thing. But I think people who come to me, it's because they they genuinely have an interest in wanting to give back and they want and they want to help in some way, especially during the pandemic. And then mm-hmm. I and then I converted them into the cult of blood because I think almost nobody um, came because of like they were like blood donation. It's kind of like they came because COVID. And then I was like, this is why blood donation. And like I'm like, oh, so I think you know, people came for me because we're not like a big, sexy name. We're not a big, sexy field. Like people came because they did want to do good, if you will. And I had the benefit of screening out some, I guess, some, um, some of the crazy pre-meds. No offense if you're a pre-med. I'm a, like I said, I'm going to medical school in the fall. So like, I feel you, but like none of the crazy pre-meds who are doing it just for clout. Mm. Um, and I think people stay because like I said, this is an environment where it's like, it's literally built by my staff, my people. They're like 18 to 31 years old. Like they have you know, free range over what they do. They get to shape UBI in their visions. It benefits them. I'm there for them 24 seven. I work to get the mentors, but very much you're working to give back to like the US and the community and the blood world. But like in doing so, I am 100% committed to you and to my chapters that you will grow as a person and as people and have a positive experience out of this. So whether again, it's growing in professional skills or personal skills, or I can extend my network to you or et cetera, et cetera. Like I am very committed that UBI, like you said, that you will join UBI. And even when you leave, that's fine. I want you to do amazing things after UBI. So we're very much in the business of local blood donation, next generation of young and diverse donors, but I'm also in the business of creating diverse leaders because they've shown themselves that, you know, I can do this because I've done this here. Um, And most of the staff that I've hired, like they're not like experts. The best people I've had have not been like like the 20 page long resumes and I've done this and I've done that because you know what, they're too busy. So the people who genuinely care and are like, I want to work in this field and I have some background and I'm willing to mm-hmm. put work in the effort, they're the ones that are my superstars. They're the ones that are my all-stars. They're the ones that have brought this organization to where they are. So if you're sitting there saying, I don't have like a background in computer science or this or that, or I do this as a hobby, that's fine. Do it as a hobby. You can still take it far because you have time. Time and passion is what matters, not your 10-page long resume. <laughs> And do you have any like stories or like, uh, like, uh, have you heard back from like past UBI members, whether they led chapters or were they part of your core team? Um, and like, been, been like, wow, how, how, how that kind of experience of and like development that happened within this organization led them and, and got them somewhere else? I don't, I guess, I don't have specific story because only because I don't want to like say people's names and so on. Advanced, but like, I, I have seen people grow more confident and they'd be like, you know, in their ability to be like, okay, there's a problem, there's a solution. It's not, it's like not an immediate freak out. Like I can handle this. I can go to Aviva, I can figure it out. And then has to take pride in seeing like their department develop, seeing their staff develop, seeing like the projects they execute come to fruition. Like my education department, like they put together a collaboration with like ACT UP Collage and Gay Men's Health Coalition. Like that was all them. Like I, you know, I, I made the initial connection, but then they took everything from there. So I guess, 
I'm sorry. I don't, I'm a little all over the place today. ADHD moment once again, but I just think that people enjoy that I give them the freedom to be mm -hmm. like, I trust your judgment. I'm going to check in with you. We're going to make sure that we're aligned or all communicating, but I trust you to take your department or your area or your project as far and as crazy as you want. And it's the same thing. I don't care what level you are. I don't care if you're a chapter. I don't care if you're a director. I don't care if you're a thing. If you have an idea, if you have a solution, we'll elevate you to a leadership position. You want to lead your chapters and have a discussion on this? Great. We'll get you going. We're very mm -hmm. much we we have like quote unquote structure but i believe i believe in flatness and i believe in transparency and then everyone has a good idea and it should be elevated and given permission to work no ego there's an ego involved i don't want you to be here basically <laughs> ah i love that um and it's 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 such an important it's something that we struggle with at, at some point in an organization when you when you add too many hierarchy and structure and you you start to to squander and suffocate the ideas that can come out and there has to be a way to catalyze. And I, I've always been in this kind of like dilemma of what's just, how do you build uh, an organization or a structure which is uh, a catalyst for creativity and, and, and new ideas and, and, and leadership development while at the same time, you know, still functional and in the sense that you can actually follow up and get get content and get get communication back from it I just think that people have like general like roles, they have general specialties and expertise. And like, you know, mm -hmm. I like, like I call my, I think like I, I mean, I, my mentor told me not to say this, but like I, I think it was like it's like Chief Butler in arms. Like I'm like my job is to help you do your job, if you will. And everyone, every boss or director, like their job is to help their staff do their job, not to like, not to like you know just like micromanage them or whatever. And I think that's the philosophy that we try, you know, to bring forward. And I think it's, I think it's more I think if it's, if you if you phrase it as like okay like here are like the general responsibilities like you're like content you help with writing you help do this but if you have, if you have other ideas great like I have like my my um like my director of compliance at the JD MBA right but he's also great at marketing he's also great at coding so when he has time he helps out with the coding he helps out with he's helping out my new director of marketing so if you have mm -hmm. skills you have time you can go in other areas as well it's about not confining people if you will. Mm. And and talking about, well, it's a little bit further ahead, but generalizing it, how has it been to be in this space, in this medical field, in your kind of, I learned about this term a couple of years ago, intersectionality of, of all the different, um, I guess, identifications you make of yourself. How does it feel like to be in the field and whether there is representation of, of it and how do we head to, especially the medical field, which is, I know there, there, there haven't always will have, have been problems in terms of diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Isabir is so fancy and so polite. So for people, <laughs> like I, so I'm a first generation Hispanic American. My dad is from the, my dad actually escaped communist Czechoslovakia. My mom uh, escaped Castro. And of course, I'm a female in medicine. I mean, I'm not an MD yet, so I don't think I can, I don't think I would not dare to reach that far into things, if you will. But I've definitely been called like, oh, good job, sweetie, or good job, honey, or oh, it's a cute idea. So I've definitely gotten like a, good job that's a very cute little girl go do your blood drives um to me before but i guess in terms of intersectionality i don't i feel like how do i put this like i i am a very independent person and because of my issues with like chronic pain and other like things in my life i've kind of learned to stop giving too too much of a flying duck um for the autocorrect version mm. of what people think about me um, because I've had to, to survive in my life, if you will, not to say it doesn't make things difficult or doesn't think things hard. It doesn't make me get anxious, but I feel like that question of like, 
I, I don't know. I feel like that's a, that's a hard question to answer. I'm like, yeah, it's going to suck. You're a woman and people are going to put you down 100%. If I was like, my boyfriend is is, is, from, is from Mexico, so he's less white passing than me. Like, like it's harder for him to do certain things than it is for me being white passing, right? Like, things are going to suck. There, there are challenges. There are, there are even glass ceilings, which I'm sure I'm, I'm going to be hit with at some point. I mean, I'm sure I'm already hitting them. But, like, you know, I've, I've hit or I'm going to hit. Mm-hmm. But it's just a matter of, like, yeah, life sucks. This thing's happened. I really don't care. I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to find a workaround. And if it upsets me and it bothers me, I talk to my partner. I talk to my boyfriend. I talk to, like, my X, Y, Z. I'm not really answering your question. I just got to say, yeah, it sucks. I haven't I've, – I definitely faced some uh, interesting scenarios because of my age or because of my uh, gender um, that have really upset me. But I have a good cry. I talk it out. Then I get really angry and I say, screw you. And I keep going, if you will. But by all means, the only way to make things better is just by people like us or people who are not the norm just forcing their way in and banding mm-hmm. together and being like and just being willing to commiserate and to talk and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was not a good answer, but I tried. It was not, it was actually well, I mean, I think it's more of an important important answer and more of an important message that you shared. And I was gonna I was gonna ask you just at the end of this episode, as we as we get to the end, and I can't believe we've 25 minutes have passed. And sorry for that. I talk very fast. I'm not surprised. <laughs> but but the thing is that uh, the last question was was what would you advise young people who are passionate and driven and 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 want to make a difference how how do they how do they move forward and I, I feel like you've answered this question but I'd love to kind of hear the final words on that as well excuse me guys the puppy is crying so you get to have a puppy during this conversation <laughs> we love this. like the thumbnail like the puppy is here um so I guess for like advice is like yeah I didn't know what I was doing when I started UBI I was scared I was afraid and I just kept talking about it and talking about it. And then, and I think the thing I've just learned in life is that you can, I never plan more than like a couple of weeks ahead. Like I can have like visions or goal posts, but my whole thing mm-hmm. is just like general idea, screw it. General idea, screw it. Cause otherwise you get too caught up in your fear and your anxiety and you will never be able to plan for all accountabilities. And you'll just be stuck in this state of like perpetual stasis, you know, talking to people, like talking to your friends, talking to your families, like you'll be surprised how far a cold email will go. Like legitimately, if you want to look me up on LinkedIn, I'll talk to any one of you. I don't care. I love mentoring and talking to people. So genuine offer of Viva Client LinkedIn. There's not too many of these, these, I think, but like find people that do the things that you want to do. Talk to your friends, talk to your family. You know, I didn't like get to like the network I have now. Like it started with like, I went to Chicago. So I was like, okay, I talked to person into like this, this this person in this hospital and then, then they knew somebody and then they knew somebody and it kind of grew from there. But it's okay to be afraid. It's okay not to be an expert. It's okay not to know what you're doing. You're going to get there by just trying. And Tiberius, who is my puppy, helping to illustrate this point. Very much so. Thank you so much, Viva and Tiberius, for joining us today. It's been a really fun, enjoyable conversation. I mean, I'm, I'm so pumped and motivated to go back and do some more work so thank you so much Uh, it worked for you though (laughs) have a lovely lovely day and we'll speak to you soon okay bye guys bye bye